Returning from the toilet is the one and only Vic Majaria taking a seat after having a poke bowl. Light on his feet. We live. We are live. Welcome to the Raj Kutech Show. Number one podcast in Dubai, especially if you happen to live above a Domino's. Because <laughs> goddamn Domino's Pizza has opened a pizzeria, or like, you can't, you can't call it a pizzeria, <laughs> has opened an outdoor alfresco Italian experience. Italian's fi- Italy's finest, yeah. <laughs> They've opened a, a Domino's takeaway in my building, and they pump it through some sort of cheese and dough-based heroin fragrance into my building and it was around midday today before Vic and I had something to eat and heading into midday all you could smell was freshly baked pizza and I am at least 12 to 15 floors above Domino's so this is going to be the torture that I have to deal with I have to basically here's what has to happen I have to have breakfast now before they start making they start, pizza. Yeah, they start. Well, well, <laughs> so I, my intermittent fasting is out of the window. I bet, I bet you they don't, they're not even making pizza. They're probably just pumping the smell through the vents just to like get people. I know for a fact that they've paid this building off <laughs> to to make sure their output is our input yeah, exactly. for air. <laughs> so anyway, Domino's is trying to screw us. Today's episode, we are going to do a couple of listener questions. Here's what happened. First four episodes, we asked people if you've got anything you want to ask or you got any feedback then fire it over to us and so people did let's start with joel hey raj uh hope you're good just uh wanted to ask you a question i've been following gary v since like 2012 i saw you on the vayner world i know you've been a dj i've been following so i want to know what is one of your most inspirational moments to date um obviously you're big on social media now. If I'm honest with you, like, I don't completely know what you do at this point, but I'm impressed. Keep doing your thing. Again, congratulations on the new podcast. Thanks, Joel. You have a lot in common with my parents because they also have no idea what I do. Last definition was probably somewhere in and around IT. Question was, most inspirational moment. He said singular. Yeah. But I think it's probably fair to say that Because on a day-to-day basis, I operate in a handful of different areas. Each one of them has their own moment of inspiration. The first one, let's start with DJing, as you mentioned, thanks. DJing, biggest moment of inspiration when it comes to DJing would be, oh, I'll tell you what the true answer to this is. Footage and Firkin on Oxford Road in Manchester, DJ Swing, rest in peace. Wow. So I hadn't thought about DJing. And I don't even think I had turntables. And then I saw DJ Swing and there was a mezzanine floor in this student venue. The turntables were on the mezzanine floor overlooking the lower floor, which was the proverbial dance area. Mm. People used to get up on the tables and dance on the tables. He was on the mezzanine on the edge, on the balcony. And then he stood on the turntables table. So he was higher than the ledge of the mezzanine. And he had the mic and he was talking down to people and he was like a tall dread, right? Like he had a real presence about him. Very smiley, high energy, good looking fella, like great dude. Gone way too soon. Probably actually my inspiration to start DJing would have been DJ Swing. And uh, I'll tell you what it is. You know, when you look at my video bio and it says I started off as a promoter in Manchester and you know, it says there's those two pictures that come up in the video. Yes. One of them is me holding a flyer yes. and the other one is Swing wearing the Jamaican of course. dread cap. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, so rest in peace to him. What an incredible human being and his audacity and ability to control the crowd and mm. do mic work and just all that kind of crazy stuff was mad because I'd been to 
parties prior to seeing DJ Swing, and I've always loved music, as many of you know, but the DJs at the hood parties were DJing with mm. a little bit of mic work. But what Swing did was, Swing just kind of like was this, was like Voltron. He was just like this massive, yeah. He was just this huge presence. So him and then obviously bought turntables, started the bedroom DJ era of my life, not taking it way too seriously. And then the big tipping point that made me want to take DJing very seriously was, I think it was 2003 in Toronto, Canada, starting from scratch, greatest DJ in the world, did a Halloween party. We were all dressed up. Me, my friend Rishi, Mike, and a few others, shout out to them. We were at a Halloween party and he played uh, Rick Astley, Never Gonna Give You Up to a room full of, all I remember is just basically black dudes. Yeah. And I was like, this is crazy because the British media and all these other places do not tell you that this is how different groups of people listen to music. Now, the rules of music don't apply to Scratch. He can play anything to anyone and somehow make it work. That's his blessing. But when I saw that, that to me was the impossible. And I was like, okay, genres don't matter. Hmm. And so was the beginning of the Love Soul philosophy music-wise. In the 80s, I saw Eddie Murphy on stage with the red jacket. You know which one that will be. Delirious. That will be Delirious. And I saw Lenny Henry doing a lot of comic relief stuff. And so I thought grabbing a mic and speaking to people, nothing to be scared of there. That probably inspired that. And then finally, Vic. No. <laughs> Is it not even one inspirational moment for anything? Well, I, just on the vein of scratch, actually, because... Oh, that conversation... That conversation changed everything about the way that I DJ. It was when we did an after party for Russell. Mm. Scratch was in town. We took him out to a club mm. and me and him just stood to the side of the dance floor, watched the people that were partying. Next to the pillar, I remember. Next to the pillar, watched the DJ and I was just pummeling him with questions about DJing. Mm. I was quite early in my DJing career mm. and, I was, and he was so patient, mm. answered every single question. And then he just stopped me and he goes, look, it's really, really simple. If you give 10 DJs, 10 different songs, they'll play them in 10 different ways. Just find your way. Mm. That's it. I was like, all right, that makes sense. Kind of didn't make sense, but it did make sense. Mm. And then I just kind of thought about that every time I DJ. I was like, well, I can play this record this way. Maybe I can change the order around. It will sound different. And, you know, then you just start thinking more creatively and start thinking that, well, there isn't a certain order that music should be played in. There isn't a certain regimented way of performing. And, you know, there's just there's just nothing that has to be the way it's supposed to be. It can be any way you decide it to be. Which is true because when you're sat at the turntables and you can think four or five records ahead, you do think, hang on, well, these are the four records. Now what's the best presentation? What are the cut points, mix points and order? But then also when you think about it, there's also, if you're presented with the same problem, whether that be in life or in business or in DJing, there's your way of figuring it out, but there's also 10 different ways of figuring it out. Mm. So now start looking at outside of just your way, but how would else someone else maybe think about this moment or this situation that you're in? You turned it into a motivational meme. I did. Like you said, he just stopped you and said, look, dude, think about it this way. He was probably just trying to get out of the conversation. I think so, yeah. <laughs> but that really did change everything for me. Cool. Next question from Ali. Now listen, I've got a bunch of questions. I'm just going to do two on this episode because we've got a lot of work to do. So here's the second question. Hey, what's up, guys? Hope you guys are doing amazing. So a question that I have for you is a question that I usually like to ask people that are successful and established in their fields like you guys. And it is about their mistakes. Because usually whenever you see someone that is successful, that is established, you always ask them, oh, what is your biggest success story? What is something that you did that you're really proud of or your, you know, your favorite uh, accomplishment or achievement? But it's rare that we ask about 
mistakes and I feel like mistakes are lessons. Mistakes are things that we can definitely learn from. So what is a mistake that you guys made that you think people can learn from? Okay, good, great question. So for me, I spent a bit of time thinking about this answer because the first two, three times I thought about it, I just didn't feel like I could do it justice. So let's separate mistake into two broad categories, consequenceless mistakes and mistakes with consequences. Ironically, the mistakes with consequences are the ones you wouldn't want to change because then it ultimately dictates the outcome of where you are today. And if you change it, it has a butterfly effect and you'll never learn from it. So mistakes with consequences, I'll keep. What I'm probably the least proud of is mistakes that had essentially no consequences other than I could have just done things better. I'll give you an example. When I first wanted to launch Shuffle, which is a party concept, I came, I spoke to a venue and we did a deal and the deal was moving along, moving along, moving along. And then I think the agency got busy and I kind of ended up having to pull out of the deal, but I didn't inform them until later, or I could have informed them earlier. There was no consequence to it. There's a party concept that I had in my head that could have happened. They could have had the party and maybe it would have even failed. So kind of like the idea of not doing the party doesn't necessarily have a commercial negative consequence to me or them. But I probably could have forced some time to have that conversation a little bit quicker. The outcome would have been the same, but it would have probably just been a better way to handle it. So that would be a mistake is that is you want to try and get lean into these things and get them out of the way because the only thing you can do is just create an expectation for an additional period of time in somebody's head, whatever the deal may be. And there's just no point in leaving that open if you've already come to a conclusion that you can't do something. So that would be my mistake would be just to tighten up on the speed at which I communicate from me making a decision to sharing it with anybody who's affected by it. That would be the mistake. As far as mistakes that I wouldn't go back and change because we need them to be where we are today, but mistakes that are currently today guiding the way that I make decisions and are impacting me in a positive way, although they are negative occurrences. I would say one mistake that I made that I paid for at the time and have sorted out is I hadn't learned to master saying no. Now, for many years, you've talked about focusing. We've been talking about focusing since we were in, in the studio yeah. in your dad's garage. But I think the way that you focus in general terms is you say, okay, these are the things that are important. These are things that are not. How do you focus on things that are important? You put more effort into them. But unless you remove the things formally that are not important to you, they will continue to have that drawstring and they'll continue to pull on you. There's a very popular saying, which is you get to the top by saying yes to everything and you stay at the top by saying no. So I think probably one of my mistakes is I should have mastered the art of no. Uh, the way that I learned it, 2013, I believe, 2014, I had whooping cuff and my capacity, my bandwidth to engage with people was a lot less because I was physically ill at home. And so I had to start saying no to people. Around that time, Tim Ferriss had a podcast about saying no. And I was like, oh, well, here's an interesting concept. Just your instinct says you want to say no, but you just assume that you can't. He gave a great guide on it. I then started Googling the art of saying no. And I found a whole bunch of sentence structures that say it in a polite way, longer ways of saying it, shorter ways of saying it, ways of saying it where the person might take offense and ways of saying it in a way whereby they'll get the message but not take offense. And you need a combination of anything on that matrix, right? So that would be my mistakes. I probably, I should have focused earlier, but without the tool of saying no, it would have been impossible because it would have all been focused on what I need to get done as opposed to what I need to remove 
to get it done. So I hope that answers your question. What do you think? Because you were the one that said you need to start focusing. So I think focus is a big thing for me. And actually saying no is kind of not in our DNA, right? Like it's, you know, say yes to everything, try and kind of get things done and, you know, help people or whatever it may be. But figuring out that's not going to scale or is not benefiting anybody because not just you, but like anyone that you say yes to because you're going to drop stuff. Mm. That's important. I think that also comes from growing up in a racist society. Like we were told that we would have less opportunities than yeah. other people. And so when one comes along, say yes. So you develop a habit of saying yes, because many people know the famous or infamous story of me getting turned down from three McDonald's. So therefore, if you try, try, try and get turned down, you almost feel grateful for any opportunity, any opportunity. to do anything. Yeah. And then we get into some real deep territory now, which is you then have a scarcity mindset, which is, well, opportunities are scarce. And so you grab every single one, you find mm. yourself committed to it. And you realize later on in life, after you've built some momentum, that opportunities are in abundance. And no is the response to abundance. And yes is the, well, yes is the response to scarcity. But they're both the default responses, but they need to be fine-tuned if you want to get the most out of life. Yeah, I think it's confidence in knowing what you want to do. And also then the confidence in knowing that there's opportunities. If one is not for you, then there's another one. But saying yes to doing things, not necessarily like an opportunity, but to doing things, then, you know, taking on too much load. Mm. And that's where problems start to happen. That's where cracks start to form. And that's where you kind of let yourself and people down in kind of promises that you might have given to them. Mm. In terms of focus, yeah, like, I mean, my, my thing with you was always like, don't do 18 different individual projects that kind of don't have any cohesion with each other. It's like, focus on one thing. Once you've nailed that, build the foundation and everything else can kind of build on top of that. But, you know, Hasn't worked out too badly. <laughs> Hasn't worked out too badly today. And no is its own language. Yeah. There's a hundred ways of saying no. You need to learn as many of them as you can mm. because then you can use more of them. But any mistakes for you? I, I think one thing that I wasn't very good at before was focusing in on what was kind of in front of me. So let me give you an example. When I was really early in my sales career, I had this script and these questions I needed to ask to kind of understand more about the business and the prospect and whatever, right? All I wanted to do was kind of get through my list of questions because as far as I was concerned, if I asked those questions, I'd get all the information I needed and I could just close a deal. But it doesn't work like that. So one mistake that I made really early on was just not at the risk of sounding corny, being present. Like listening to what was being said is more about my agenda than really kind of having a conversation and figuring out, okay, well, how can I help this person? You know, what I'm selling, will it really help them? Where can I add value? All that kind of stuff. So just not being present and listening and kind of getting out of my own head and going, right, let me look at that person, listen to what they're saying and respond to what they're saying. Did you see a formula and just grab it? Is that, is that how you saw it as a formula? Like the wrong way of doing it? Yeah. When you were doing it wrong, were you like, okay, cross this finishing line and you know, like if then, if I say these, yeah. if I ask these questions, then I'll get the deal. Well, early in my sales career, I was trained, right? So you have a script, you have an intro, then they have a business conversation. In those business conversations, there's certain questions that you ask. And then you kind of have like a follow-up based on that. And then you have another conversation, you have questions against that. And then you present the deal and then you try and close it, you know, and then you negotiate and then you close. So these kind of steps to the sale. Now, of course, what I didn't realize was this was not a step-by-step process that you follow to the T it's a guide and that's what I didn't realize so that's what the problem was at the beginning but that's okay because I was learning in a structured way mm. I guess on paper it was structured outside of it it wasn't and actually it wasn't me that 
realize it, it was my manager that kind of said to me, look, you're just asking questions. You're not listening to what's being said. Mm. So they've said something that you should drill down on and ask more questions about because you'll get to the root cause of their challenge or their problem. And then you'll be able to go, okay, well, I can solve it for you. Mm. But if you're just trying to get to the end, you're just going to get nowhere. And that's what made me realize that I was doing it wrong. Was your instinct not switched on when nah, those keywords not were at all. dripping? Not at all. Which is weird because I'm not normally like that. But the reason I, the instinct wasn't switched on is because I was too focused on what was in front of me on paper. I just get into the end. Plus, I was like, this is how I've been told to do it. And that I lost this kind of just for just momentarily, like just for a little while. I just lost this moment of like, I should just do it my way, like just figure right. out how to do it because I used to do it that way. And then I kind of switched it when I was like given this structured way of learning. It's like choreographed dancing versus freestyling. Jazz. Yeah, more often than not, actively listening. Active listening. That's it. Is a super duper talent to have. So I hope that answers the questions for you. Two good questions answered. From time to time, we will pull up some more of these and, you know, send in your questions or send in your comments. We actually have a comment from our friend Travis, a popular DJ here in Dubai. Let's pull that up and we'll end on that. And then we will speak to you on the next episode. If you enjoyed this episode, five-star rating and review on Apple means the world to us because it helps us get discovered. Follow us on Spotify, whichever app you're listening on. Do whatever you can to give us some love on there. But the most amount you could do is hit the share button, forward it on to at least five people on WhatsApp, help them discover the show. Thanks. Talk to you in a bit. Raj, my man, I hope everything is great. Just want to say uh, congratulations to you and Vic. Um, I just got through the first two episodes of the new podcast. And uh, yeah, I'm really digging it, man. The stories, the insights, just everything. You've always been so filled with gems. So uh, we appreciate this, brother. And uh, looking forward to more. I'm going to catch up on those other two shortly. But yeah, keep it up, bro. And uh, thank you, man, for everything you do.